Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Fill Your Bowl podcast. I hope you are having a lovely day, morning, evening, wherever you are in the world. Today I am joined by Alex Walker. We have such a good episode in store. So Alex is an eating disorder counsellor and coach and she supports women who are recovering from an eating disorder or disordered eating. In this episode we discuss Alex's own personal journey with experiencing an eating disorder and what it was like for her to go inpatient. We also discuss the most common types of eating disorders Alex sees in practice today, learning to listen to your body again, personality types, changing thought patterns, social media, mental health and eating disorders, as well as Alex's approach when it comes to working with her clients. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. It's a really, really honest and raw conversation that we have and Alex shares so much great information from her experience with clients. So without further ado, here is today's episode. Hi everyone and welcome to the Fill Your Bowl podcast. Each week I'm going to bring you new episodes which will inspire you to jump out of your comfort zone and ditch society's expectations of what's normal. This podcast is designed for anyone who wants to fill up their bowl in all areas of their life, whether that's physically, mentally, spiritually or emotionally. If you're finally ready to jump on the self-love train and opt out of what society expects of you, then you're in the right place. I want to bring you raw and honest conversations on mental health, relationships, navigating life in your 20s, healing your relationship with food, exercise and your body and lots more. Grab a coffee, turn the volume up and let's get started with today's episode. Thank you for tuning in and remember, what's the one thing you'll regret not doing when you're 80 years old? Now, go do it. So Alex, thank you so much for joining me. It's currently 9am on a Saturday, so I really, really appreciate your time. How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Just, it's very early for me. <laughs> I know, are you a morning person? No. <laughs> no, What what's your usual wake up time? I do wake up at nine, but I've not had the first coffee of the day yet, so. Oh, <laughs> oh no should have got the first coffee I've got, I, it next to me. I've got it next to me it's just oh good yeah so I I would love for you to start by introducing yourself and who you are and everything you do so I follow you on Instagram so I kind of know your background and stuff but I'd love for you to share everything with the listeners definitely so my name's Alex obviously I run Alex Walker counseling where I work as a counselor and an eating disorder coach so I work with clients with a range of eating disorders and body dysmorphia and self-esteem issues and basically work with them either as a counsellor where we do maybe weekly sessions or I work with them as a coach where it's much more one-on-one and kind of when and when and as they need that support. Amazing and what is the difference between a counsellor and a coach? So I'd say the main difference is when working with me as a counsellor you're designated kind of a 50 minute slot where we are working towards a goal we've got a plan in place we really focus on the past and really try to help with past issues and fix those going forward try and get rid of beliefs and stuff like that in the session whereas 
working with someone as a recovery coach we deal with the then and their emotions that they're feeling at that time so one of my clients may ring me after they've eaten a large meal and then we'll jump on a FaceTime or we'll talk on WhatsApp and deal with those really raw emotions when the client's feeling them rather than talking to her a week later in a counseling session where maybe she's not feeling the emotions as strongly at that time. Do you find most people start with the therapy and then go into more of the coaching side of it? I find that when people first go on my website, they go for the counselling first. And then when I talk to them or when they're a bit more maybe into their recovery, they'll go for the coaching. Or Mm. if someone's just come out of inpatient, they will sometimes go for the coaching just because I can keep them on track of their meal plans I can help them with food shops and all of that kind of stuff that comes after being taken out of inpatient so that's where a lot of the clients come from as well okay and if someone did come to your website maybe they have suffered from an eating disorder what should be the question that they ask themselves when they are thinking should I go for the therapy side of it or the the coaching side of what you can offer I think they should I mean first of all I would do an assessment with with the clients so I would ask them questions to kind of assess if counseling would be the right road for them or coaching I think if I was talking to someone and they were maybe not I mean a lot of people I speak to they think they have an eating disorder they're not 100% sure they might be a bit in denial about it they Mm -hmm. might be getting pressured from family members or a GP to get the counseling um that type of client wouldn't be ready for coaching the kind of client that would be ready for coaching would be someone that has accepted you know I've got an eating disorder I really need to move forward they probably would have already had some counseling and already done some stuff maybe with inpatient or outpatient facilities and was I'd say someone that isn't at a very dangerous weight as well because that kind of client I would recommend speaks to their GP first before going forward with any kind of counseling or coaching I mean, that completely resonates with me because for myself, I mean, I've definitely been a a victim of this and I knew that I had to go to therapy before any kind of coaching. I knew that there was a lot of things that I needed to process and actually admit to myself because once again, I was in denial. And Mm -hmm. so that, that completely makes sense to me that if it's the kind of person who is in denial, like going to therapy would be the best thing for them first just to kind of process it all because that was something that yeah I definitely had to do as well and I um I know kind of you have your own personal story as well and I absolutely love talking to people about their personal stories Mm -hmm. if they're comfortable doing so just because it can help so many people out there and I know for me when I've been on my recovery journey just listening to other people and how they've come out on the other side has been super super helpful for me so I was wondering if you would be able to share your personal story and the biggest thing that has helped you in recovery. 100% so I guess that was the reason I obviously got into this line of work. I, I think everything I went through, you know, it's been a blessing, I guess, because now I get to help others and that's what I wanted to do. But I developed anorexia around the age of 14. It 
came from it came from a lot of different things really it came from PTSD it came from some bullying in school it never actually came from a problem with my body I never had any issues with food or the way I looked it just came from being completely out of control at that time in my life I was obviously had PTSD I was completely out of control I was having panic attacks nearly every other day and I think I thought at that time the only thing I could kind of grab control of was eating so that's what I did and that obviously that obviously turned into me becoming sort of very malnourished and underweight um having to go to you know the, the countless um counseling sessions and inpatient and hospital visits and blood tests and all of the GP appointments that come with um the um, disorder and then around the age of kind of so I was probably like had anorexia for about four years and then it I kind of made a decision that I wanted to start eating again but I didn't really have any knowledge of it I wasn't going to a counsellor at the time and this spiralled into me going through binge eating disorder so I was even more out of control and the problem I had then was I reached a healthy weight so I was going to GPs I was trying to get help and I don't want to say laughed out the door but kind of just you know you're not underweight we don't know what to do you're kind of at the bottom of the waiting list so I really would say that was the time I was completely lost I didn't know where to turn to and I remember thinking myself I wish there was someone who had been through this that I could talk to so I was looking for counsellors online um, that been through what I'd been through and also maybe like more towards my age and you know so you can relate to them and there just wasn't anyone out there at the time and I I thought that's who I want to be for someone I want to be that person for someone so that was kind of my drive I thought that's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna get better and I'm gonna work towards being the person that that someone can go to if they're in my position Oh my gosh, there are so many thoughts that came up for me just then when you were speaking. That is amazing. I absolutely love the fact that you have used this struggle that you've had in the past to help others. And when you said like it's actually been a blessing because now you get to do this kind of work, like that is amazing. And I just, I love it when people use something that they've struggled with to then go out and help other people. I just think it's so inspiring. And the fact that you mentioned that your eating disorder never actually came from your body. I think this is a really big point to pick up because a lot of people's eating disorders don't actually come from body image. They do come from other things. So do you see this a lot in your practice that people's eating disorders have actually come from other underlying issues? Yeah, I mean, we see it a lot. And obviously it really varies from individual to individual and the exact causes are, you know, they differ. But You do often find that if you dig down deep enough, there is sometimes issues beneath the surface that really do contribute. So, I mean, as I say, mine, it was PTSD and also forms of anxiety and panic disorder. But you do see a lot with low self-esteem, family issues, just society, social media, also people that are in sort of really strict sport activities and stuff like that, mm. all underlining issues. But as I say, for me, my body was never the issue. Um, it's It was just completely a control thing. And I do see that with a lot of my clients when we dig down deep enough. 
it can be a real mixture of different things. How do you think people who go through this get the sense of control from food? That is that's a tricky question. I would say that I think because we're, it's like COVID, for example, we were all completely out of control. You can't control a pandemic. So this is why I think there's been such a spike in eating disorders through the pandemic, because we can control what we eat and when we eat and everything like that. And that's what I think people just grab at it because we can take full control and we can just lose as much weight as we want and no one can take that away from us and we can just have that for ourselves and the amount of people I've spoke to through the pandemic that just said like I had no other choice I was at home and the world was kind of just falling apart around us so I just took this for myself and it was like a little secret that I had where I was just able to do this I completely understand as well because I think that's where where mine started as well when I was a teenager it came from just feeling so out of control in so many other areas of my life and this was the one thing that I could control and it it made me feel better I guess being able to do that and just seeing that number on the scale go down and down it's like an achievement kind of thing as well Um, which is another question I guess do you see a lot of high achievers suffer from eating disorders? Yeah, I think definitely, you know, it comes into play. I I mean, me, I, myself, I, I was very hard on myself and I always wanted to prove that I could kind of make people proud and stuff like that, a um, bit of a perfectionist. So for me, I would strive to see their number on the scale go down. And then, I mean people have different opinions about inpatient facilities but for me being in there with a bunch of other people that were also trying to do the same thing it's just like a massive sport and who can win who can get the number down the most um and that was really like a negative thing for me being in that kind of environment as it has been for a lot of people I've spoke to so definitely I think people who struggle with eating it can that can come into play massively that is so interesting. So I I was never kind of impatient myself, but that's really interesting that you say that was actually a negative Definitely. for you. Are you are you comfortable dis- talking about your experience inpatient? Yeah, a hundred percent. Definitely. Yeah, I went inpatient kind of. I'd say two years into my my um, eating disorder, and I was it was an all girls facility. There was about sort of seven of us in there at the time. And I remember walking in and looking at everyone else and thinking, oh, I'm not ill enough to be here. Like, oh God, these girls are so much more skinnier than me. And I remember my mum saying, no, you you need to be here. <laughs> you're, you're, the, you're exactly the same. You're going through the same things. And it was just like a really, the girls were lovely, obviously, and we all got along great. But it was a really toxic, competitive environment. And you actually learn like tips and tricks on how to lose weight. And it's all like a big competition. And it was just more detrimental than helpful at that time. You know, you're, you're in such a vulnerable position and mm. anything that anyone says to you, you kind of just take it as Bible. You just think it's true and you're constantly looking for reassurance and stuff. And yeah, I just think it wasn't the right place for me, but I've spoke to many people that have gone there and it has really helped them. So that was just my personal experience. 
yeah, I guess it's a case by case basis, isn't it? And it's going to be so different for everyone. And I think what you, what you said just then about feeling like you're not ill enough to be here. And I think that's what so many people go through, like people who haven't been diagnosed with an eating disorder because they're not underweight or yeah they're still real yeah that's a real struggle I see with Mm. a lot of people that talk to me now um like I get messages on Instagram and it's just girls asking and boys asking and saying you know I've been to the GP and they've said I'm not I'm like a healthy weight what do I do I'm the only option for me is to get a private counsellor and even then I feel like embarrassed they're not going to take me seriously they feel like shameful about it and it's so difficult because then you actually start to believe yourself that you haven't got a problem Mm -hmm. because no one else is seeing it and actually you could probably be at a more dangerous place in your life just as dangerous Mm -hmm. if you were severely underweight you know I know myself when I had the binge eating disorder I was you know at a very comfortable healthy weight for GPs to look at and say you know you are but in my head I think I was personally at the worst place that I've ever been throughout any of my eating disorder because on top of overeating and dealing with the feeling of you know once you've had you know people that have got binge eating disorder will know that feeling after when you're sat there in this body and you don't recognize it and the feeling is just Mm -hmm. it's so awful to deal with that on your own and then go to a GP and they say you're not underweight enough or something like that you really do feel helpless and you don't know what to do yeah and I guess you just feel out a little bit out of control as well because when you previously when you were diagnosed with anorexia and you just you knew where you stood and you had the thoughts in your head telling you what you can and you can't eat and then suddenly with binge eating disorder it's like you do just have that loss of control because it, it can just spiral I guess when you do overeat some days it and then like you said you just don't recognize your body anymore and you're not sticking to strict rules or you are but then you lose that control and then it's just a massive like mental game isn't it and just really messes with you do you see many different so when back back when I was a teenager it was normally anorexia and bulimia they were kind of the two that you were either diagnosed with what different types of eating disorders do you now see in practice today because I now I know there are a lot more recognized eating disorders than just anorexia and bulimia yeah definitely I mean I would say the most popular ones that I'm seeing day to day are anorexia binge eating disorder and bulimia still to be honest with you but I do see a lot as I say of people coming to me with atypical they're a healthy weight but still massively struggling and it's not as recognized obviously with GPs and and stuff like that and you know I do get a different mixture a lot of younger younger clients that I get have just maybe got more of like phobias around food and trauma around food but they are the most still popular ones that I do see day to day in practice. With the phobias around food, where where do you think these phobias are coming from? I think it, they come from a, a variety of places, but I'd say the most clients that I talk to, it does come from kind of early childhood. These clients will be quite young. They're they're normally under sort of thirteen, I would say, and it's just come from childhood 
phobias basically I mean myself to be honest I had a bit of that and I was always really sure to overcook food make sure food was really overcooked before I ate it I had a massive phobia of sort of getting getting food poisoning and stuff like that so I can empathize with people that have got massive phobias around food what are the main kind of foods you see that people have phobias of I would say meat and dairy and then just food food groups in whole so people will just completely cut out foods like carbs and stuff like dairy as like I say before and that can also be really detrimental I know a lot of people said like say oh well you cut them foods out like if you're a vegetarian or a vegan or if you just are on a diet and stuff like that but for someone so young it can cause health issues and concerns yeah definitely I mean I feel like diet culture has definitely done this as well to a lot of people and you see a lot on social media and just in marketing and stuff when you look at food you might say dairy free gluten free everything free and you're thinking oh my gosh what is actually in this food Uh, but it doesn't help because it makes people think that that's the healthier option and it isn't always the healthier option if for example if you're eating something that's gluten-free I mean you don't not a lot of people actually need to do that unless you have celiac it's completely unnecessary to need to cut out kind of gluten if you're not diagnosed with that condition but I guess because of what we see in supermarkets and diet culture and stuff we just have this ingrained well yeah it's been ingrained into us that gluten-free is healthy or dairy-free is healthier so it's I guess relearning as well just a lot of education around food and nutrition and what actually is good for your body and a lot of the time it's actually listening to what your body wants which can be hard I mean how did you find the whole listening to your body in recovery and just really starting to learn to eat again I think that was what took the longest for me I mean you've not eaten properly for so long you you completely it's like you completely forget how to eat and you just have Mm. to go back to square one like as a child learning how to eat again and portion control and all of this stuff like when I was living at home you know my mum would make dinners up and she'd serve herself up a dinner you know without thinking about it and I'd kind of be like oh my god such a big meal and she's like no this is just what someone who's not got this store would eat and would probably eat and I just wasn't used to it and then now I live you know with my partner we've moved out and I have to do my own meal serving so it was it was difficult because you know there's so much for me a massive thing was if I was going out with say my partner for a meal and he stopped eating because he was full I would be like right well I can't eat anymore because he's gonna think I'm just like a pig Mm -hmm. if I just carry on eating after he's already stopped but it it takes such a long time and you know if you're with a group of friends and everyone's ordered a pizza and all your friends have two slices but you want to have a third that's okay like Mm -hmm. you're allowed to do that no one's going to judge you no one's going to think you're like some big disgusting monster if you have the first slice of pizza or you know and that takes such a long time to train your mind to realize that it's okay to to eat until you're full and just do what your body your body tells you what to do you just have to listen and you just forget how to listen when you're in a depth of an eating disorder 
Yeah, that is so true. You just suppress everything. And yeah. I mean, for me, I saw like being hungry, a badge of honor. And when mm. I was hungry, I was thinking, oh, like good. Like I liked it because I felt then felt strong because I wasn't listening to it. And I felt like I was really in control then because I was the one that decided whether I was hung, like whether I put food in, into my body or not. And that's such a weird thing, isn't it? Because it's like, if you need the toilet, you're not going to just hold your wee in because you think it's going to give you a sense of control. And it's the exact same with eating. Like your body is telling you it needs something and it's so important to just listen to it and fuel it. And what you were saying about going out for dinner with friends and stuff, I know for me as well, when I would go out for dinner and everyone would well no one would get a dessert and I was thinking oh I'd really like a dessert but you just don't because no one else is and it's so important to just listen to that because you don't know what these people ate earlier on in the day like someone might have eaten quite a lot of sugar that day so they're now feeling oh I don't actually feel like it it's just not what my body wants right now whereas you might have actually not eaten much sugar that day now you're feeling like you're craving a little bit in yeah after dinner so it's just completely okay to eat differently to how everyone else is eating and we like build up this sense of fear like oh my gosh they're gonna think I'm greedy they're going to think Mm -hmm. I'm going to get fat or something and we build this up internally and no one is actually thinking that like no one actually cares and we build it up so much in our own head definitely and it's also you know once you are in kind of mid recovery and you go out then and you're with family and friends and know you have had you know a really bad eating disorder and you think god they're staring at me and like watching me eat and I used to think that I'd go for family meals and I'd eat a roast dinner and I'd be eating the dinner and I'd think right everyone's watching me but you know my mum would look at me but she'd be just thinking like I'm so glad you're eating again but she, she wasn't judging me but in my head I thought oh my god she's just judging me so much so true and if I so when I was in my recovery stages if I did have dessert I would feel like everyone was looking at me and I would yeah and I and someone would say I don't know it might be my brother might say oh wow Lauren's eating dessert that's unheard of or something like that and that would like then trigger me into not wanting to eat the dessert so I had to really set boundaries with my family and say to them like you can't say stuff like that to me because it it will then make it it'll bring up negative so I think it is so important to set boundaries with family and stuff and it's also the the the, the famous quote you know when you see family and they say oh god you look so healthy now and that you're just like (laughs) Mm, yeah that's so true yeah for many of my clients I talk to they say that's one of the hardest things that people say to them you know they start gaining a bit more weight and looking a bit better and someone just says oh wow you know you look so much more healthy now and it's such it's a compliment I mean if someone said that to me now I'd be like oh great thanks like (laughs) brilliant but then you're just thinking they're saying to you wow you're so fat now (laughs) or so like it's just you've gained weight which is just it's it is so ridiculous when you think back that's the thing we hear it differently to how they're saying it don't we and that's why I think it's just so important to just not comment on anyone's bodies whether if they've lost weight just don't comment and obviously if they put on weight just don't comment and that's what I've kind of said to the people in my life like I don't want you commenting on my body I don't 
care what you have to say Mm -hmm. you don't say any of it to me because my body is just not for discussion and even if that's oh you look really I don't know I I don't want anyone because if you see a friend and I don't know they've just tried on a new outfit they want you to say how good or skinny they look sometimes Mm -hmm. and that's just something I'm not willing to do or if they try something on they then they say to me do I look fat in this like I'm just not commenting like I literally just say like not commenting because I don't want to make that person think that their worth is based on their body like there's so much more to them than what their body looks like and I wouldn't want someone commenting on my body so I'm not going to do it to other people's now either exactly Um, is there anything that you tell your clients to do with boundaries that that could help listeners it really varies depending on the person and what their what their circumstances are so you know I get a lot of clients that have to set boundaries with their family members because you know either they're saying inappropriate things about their body and commenting or you know I get a few of my clients have got parents where you know the mums are always on diets and they grew up in that environment or siblings are on diets and they have to set boundaries there and say to them you know you you do you that's fine if you want to be on a diet that's fine you buy all the diet food for the house that's fine but I also need you to do this for me bring in food that I can eat that's on my meal plan or whatever and don't talk to me about the diet I don't want to be involved this isn't a family thing that's a you thing that's a big boundary that we have to put in place sometimes um with my clients and you know, also me, I have to put boundaries in place with my clients when I'm doing the coaching, because this is a, this is kind of a 24 hour service that I'm providing for them, but Mm -hmm. I don't want them to become, you know, so attached that I'm getting messages at two, three, four, five in the morning, you know, constantly, or if I'm going on holiday for a week, I'll say, okay, well, on Monday and Wednesday and Thursday afternoon, if there's an emergency or something like that, send me a whatsapp I may not get back to you straight away but you know I can't just be there 24 hours a day because I have to look after myself you know even as counsellors and coaches we still have to have rest days we still need to do self-care and you know look after our own mental well-being so setting boundaries is so so important with just everyone in your life whether you're at work at home with friends just everywhere make sure people know your boundaries definitely so important to set those boundaries and of course if you don't like people just don't know people don't yeah appreciate sometimes how sensitive kind of eating disorders are and they sometimes I'm with my family they just didn't realize how much of a it was a more of a mental illness not it wasn't about my body it wasn't all physical it's a mental illness so they just don't know the kind of the right things to say the wrong things to say so it was up to me to tell them just so they knew for next time so I think yeah it's so important to just kind of tell your family what would be triggering for you and and most of the time you know it comes from a good place I remember myself I was I was in hospital and you know very unwell and one of my family members actually brought me like a big McDonald's meal because she just she just wants me to eat. She was just like, here you go. And my mum my had to speak to her and say, that's, it's not, <laughs> you know, that's not going to help. And these are the boundaries in place. Um, but it comes from a good place and it's, there's no sort of uh, menace behind it. 
that is so true that reminds me actually of something I I went through my dad placed a bet that I couldn't eat a large Domino's pizza (laughs) and he bet 20 pounds that I couldn't eat it and me just being me and wanting to prove a point I ate a large Domino's pizza and just then didn't eat for days afterwards and I think he only did that to get me to eat and Mm. of course it worked because I like proving a point and proving people wrong and it was it was very detrimental because the next few days I just then like starved myself wouldn't eat because I felt so shit about what I'd just done so yeah it's a tough one when it comes to family um do you so you you did speak about this before and how your eating disorder started with PTSD um and it didn't actually it wasn't anything to do with your body do you see a link a lot between those who suffer from an eating disorder and other mental illnesses yeah I mean we see this all the time because you know unfortunately when you struggle with an eating disorder most most of the time you do develop other conditions like having an anxiety disorder of some sort or panic disorder or you know there's depression can come with it a lot of the time for me you know I I was I just full house you know I had all of the all of the above just it just all come as like a collective pair so you know now you're dealing with all of these different disorders and things going on and you know it came from obviously started with PTSD for me then it went to the eating disorder and then panic attacks would come after I'd eaten because I was just so worked up and then I'd have anxiety disorder because the thought of like going out to restaurants with families or anyone seeing me and stuff caused anxiety and then depression comes because you're you're in such a you know, way where you're disassociated from the world and you're just feeling alone and you feel shameful and embarrassed and there's just so many feelings that come with it. So definitely, you know, we see that all the time. Mm. If there was one thing that you wish people knew about eating disorders, just the general public, people who maybe have never suffered an eating disorder and they just don't really know or understand what it is, what what would the one thing that you'd like people to understand about them the thing that I tell a lot of parents that I talk to is you know this has the highest mortality rate you know it's serious I don't think you know I know my mum she didn't understand when I would when I was ill and when I got to the point where I was in hospital and I was in a hospital bed and the doctor was saying to me you know you're not gonna be here much longer if you carry on like this and then I think you know it clicked and she thought wow this is so serious you know it's it's life-threatening and I don't think a lot of you know Mm. well they do now there's a lot more awareness around it but people didn't understand that the end result of this isn't isn't good if you carry on you know no I I completely agree I think so many people don't understand that and even if you're not severely underweight and kind of killing yourself that way and you're so, you, you maybe are a healthy weight, but it's still mental. You are effectively just destroying yourself mentally because you're just overworking yourself, constantly thinking about the calories in food and what you're going to eat when you go on holiday or on a road trip or something. And it just... It consumes your whole life, completely consumes you as a person. It takes away 
any personality and stuff that you had and it just your whole being now is about food and weight and everything like that you you know I I completely detached myself from family friends everything Mm -hmm. around me and all like you could you could obviously seem selfish but I guess you kind of are in that point but completely unwillingly you're just you're so consumed by it yeah and like you said it's so unwillingly it's it's not you it's not who you are like there's this voice in your head that is telling you all of these things and unfortunately that when you listen to that voice it gets stronger and stronger and 100% your own thoughts and feelings start getting weaker and you start trusting that voice and you kind of lose all of the brain space to do other things and your life just becomes consumed by it and you start living a smaller life which is so so sad and I don't know what was one thing for you in recovery that made your life bigger and you then thought I can never go back I think for me you know I mentioned the binge eating disorder when I came out of anorexia and although it was a really awful a hard time because I was eating you know nice foods I was eating everything you know all the stuff that when I had anorexia my brain told me was bad food but I'd got a taste for it then and I thought you know I couldn't now go back to not eating pizza and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it actually had a little bit, a tiny positive effect on me because once I'd got the taste for food again and, the, you know, I didn't want to go back to not being able to, to eat those foods. Yeah, definitely. One thing that my brain kind of convinced me was that you can't eat cheese on pizza. So even in recovery, I was eating pizza, pizza, but I would always order it without cheese on. But I guess for me, that was like a first step in recovery, like eating a pizza, but no cheese. It was like, cheese was like another fear food for me. So I thought, okay, I'll have the pizza. And then eventually I added the cheese on. Now I would never eat pizza without cheese. You can't imagine it, can you? I mean, I eat so many pizzas now because one of the things I do as a coach is we eat fear foods together, you know, some days on via FaceTime mm. and a lot of, you know, for a lot of my clients, pizza is is a fear food. So, you know, I have to jump on and do the do an eating pizza with them, which I'm not complaining about. But yeah, so I, I get a lot of experience with eating pizza now. Oh, it's so amazing because I think when I was younger like you said there just wasn't people who had been through this and were similar age and doing what you do now and I think it's so amazing how many people you could be helping or are helping right now who are comfortable speaking with someone who has been through it and is a similar age and just understands because I I think a lot of the time like what we've said about going to the GP and stuff they just don't understand and you get sent away you get you're made to feel like you're not actually sick you're absolutely fine Mm -hmm. and then it just gets worse and worse and worse so no I think it's amazing everything that you do and I saw on your website that you work with a lot of individuals who have low self-esteem so what are your top three tips for someone who may have low self-esteem I'd say my first top tip that helped me so much in recovery was straight on Instagram and unfollowing every account that made me feel shit about myself just 
anyone that was portraying unrealistic body standards and just all of this stuff because I followed so many girls that you know I would look up to you know uh, Finspo accounts they were called back when I when I had to, I don't realize what they're called anymore but um I just unfollowed all of them I started following people that were body positive had real bodies and I used to look up to them and think okay well they've ate a massive dinner and they look really good so why can't I do that and that really for me helped me with my self-esteem and because I used to like get really bloated and I used to think oh my god this is not normal like why have I got this like massive stomach after I've eaten this meal and then I remember going on Instagram and I followed this girl um and I she posted a lot of stuff about being bloated after eating and it just made me feel normal and I thought yeah after I saw that I just felt completely better like I just felt like I didn't care about it anymore and that really helped me so much and it's still now like I'll go on and look at all the girls I follow and men that I follow they're just embracing their bodies and you know every part of it and I look at it and I just think that makes me feel like 100% just amazing. I think I'm such a preacher of unfollow anyone who does not make you feel good and I used to do this even small things like looking at people abroad on holiday like living in Bali and they're constantly in their bikini with their coconuts and on the beach and just even if it's nothing to do with their body but just to do with their lifestyle as well unfollow it or you can even if you don't want to unfollow someone mute their posts I do that with quite a few people that I follow I just mute their posts and I only go on their page when I feel like I'm in a place where I can do so and yeah it's so empowering following a lot of body positivity and body acceptance accounts because it just makes you realize that there are so many different body types out there and if you go into a supermarket and you look around there is so many different body types like everyone is so so different definitely and I mean you you become obsessed I mean I became obsessed with this one girl that sort of lived in my local area and like she used to post bikini pics on holiday all the time and stuff and I used to look at her and think oh my god this girl is just like I would die to look like her and I met her at a party and she did she she laughed with me and said like I don't look like that like I edit my photos she was like I don't really eat like I just and she knew she was portraying just an unrealistic thing online Mm -hmm. and I said to her I was like for two years I have looked at you and wanted to be you and you don't even look like you and she we were laughing about it but you know as much as it's negative but you do become like obsessed with with people and you're thinking you don't even know them and you don't even know if that's them no exactly and you don't know like when she said I don't eat what, what did she say I don't eat yeah she just said like I won't eat for days and she, she posts pictures of food like big meals they're nice to be like oh wow she eats that and looks like that unbelievable and she was like I don't even eat those meals like I'll just post pictures of my boyfriend's dinner if we're out and stuff and I was just like I've literally looked up to you for two years it kind of makes me mad because I'm like do you know how many people that yeah. you have actually kind of destroyed I don't want to say destroy because that's quite harsh but yeah. just had a, a negative impact on because they really wanted to be you and it's so detrimental you just need to be yes you have to be so mindful of what you post now you know no matter what you're following because you never know who's looking who's looking up to you who's listening to you and 
that is the the thing nowadays you know so for me when I another thing that really helped me um, going back to like the second point of the self-esteem is when I posted my personal story on my Facebook where you know everyone I'd grown up with is people didn't know my story and I did it to raise awareness for B I posted my story and I got such an amazing reaction and everyone knew then and you know if I go out and see people they knew about my story but it kind of made me feel quite empowered and it made me feel good and it made me feel like now if I post pictures of food and stuff people are going to be like cool Mm -hmm. well she did it I can do it too. So true. I love that. And it is, it's so empowering for other people to hear real life stories and just people's recovery stories. I know that has definitely helped me a lot and just following a lot of people who have been through similar things on Instagram and knowing that they are real. Cause I, I do like to do my due diligence on people with Instagram and I, I'm quite careful who I follow just because I know how sensitive it can be to me if I'm following the wrong people. Mm -hmm. So it's just so important to be real. And I think you can tell quite a a bit now because a lot of people do Instagram stories and they'll actually be eating on Instagram stories. You can see they'll do a IGTV video of them eating fear foods, things like this. So you can tell to some extent I guess you don't know what's going on behind the camera but I like to think there are a lot of people out there now doing really good things and trying to move forward with this so something else I wanted to talk about was your approach to counselling so I saw on your website that you said it is integrative Um, I'm not too sure what this means so I would just love for you to explain like what does this mean and what can people expect when working with you as a therapist definitely so it's a person-centered approach that I have so it's kind of got five principles to it so it's just completely respecting the client and getting to know the them as a person and recognizing all of their unique qualities so that you can work with them you know, on a proper one-to-one basis, just understanding all of their experiences and also the goals that they want to reach so that you can put a proper care plan into place and we'll have, you know, weekly or monthly check-ins to make sure that they are reaching the goals that they want to reach. You know, I think it's very good as a counsellor to be honest and to say to your client, you know, I might not be for you and you might not be for me and we need to if that's the case, then I recommend, you know, I'd recommend another counsellor to you because I saw, I don't even know, 50 counsellors when I was, when I was ill and, you know, they're not all for you. Some people just don't work well together, you know? So you want to make sure that I want to make sure that I can hundred percent help the client. I don't want them to waste money or time or efforts with me, you know? So we put a plan together in the first session and goals and make sure that we both feel like they'll be able to meet those goals with me without pressure and without sort of anything like that as well. Um, It's really about just basically giving them the chair, letting them talk and listen and then delving in when you can just to break down behaviour patterns and changing their thought patterns with them and that obviously moving into CBT because 
with CBT, I'm helping them to gradually break down all of those four patterns about their body in letting them know that, you know, they can move forward and, and have a full life. When you mentioned changing thought patterns, how do you approach this? How, how if someone came to you and they do have these phobias and fear foods, how would you approach them changing their thought patterns around that? So if someone comes to me and they've got a massive fear of carbs in general as a whole, we'll firstly work with finding out where we think that's come from, you know, how it plays out in their day-to-day lives, how it affects them, then work out where they'd want to be in the future with this phobia. Then we will work out individually, we'd pull it apart and they'd try to explain to me individually what each fear is. So like you say, you know, the cheese on the pizza Mm. was the fear for you. So we'll pick out certain points and then individually break down those thinking patterns about that point. And, you know, it's eating disorders come from a lot of using it as a coping strategy. So we want to replace those coping strategies with with healthy <laughs> healthy um, coping strategies instead. Mm. So you know it's it's a really in depth thing. I could I could talk talk for a long time about it, but yeah. it's I find that CBT is the most effective way mm. to deal with eating disorders, especially binge eating disorders and bulimia. But yeah it just it's just really a good way to focus on challenging all distortions and behaviors and you know it's very time limited and goal orientated so you can really get stuff done basically in in sessions and see results yeah amazing and I just have one final question for you because I know we are getting on for time so this is the fill your bowl podcast and the whole kind of concept of the name of the podcast um it was try- I was trying to do a play on words so you know when people say fill up your cup um I thought okay I'll call it fill your bowl because I'm studying nutrition and wanted it to be quite food based as well as mental health and just general life things so what is one thing that you do to fill up your bowl on a daily basis so it could be anything that's kind of mental or spiritual or physical absolutely anything on a daily basis I like to 100% make sure that I eat a big breakfast this is something I live by because I never ever ate breakfast in my life before I was like grab a cereal bar kind of person for a long time and then not eat till lunchtime so without fail every morning now I go for a walk and then I eat like a proper breakfast and I just it sets me up for the day and if I don't have it now then I just feel rotten (laughs) I love that what do you have for breakfast normally eggs on toast um Mm. but you're a savory person oh I'm a savory person 100% I just yeah that's what I live by now I love that. I was the exact same for years and years and years. I also grabbed a cereal bar, hardly even ate the cereal bar, pick at it and then just throw it away. And now I would never, ever, ever go without breakfast. It is my favourite meal of the day, but I, I'm complete opposite. I'm sweet. Sometimes it's, I, I will, if I'm going out for breakfast, I always know that I'm going to have avocado and egg on toast. So I will have something sweet before I go 
and then have that <laughs> because I just know as soon as I wake up I crave something sweet which is something that I never used to kind of allow myself to give into and now it's just all about listening to my body and I'll definitely kind of honor those cravings <laughs> in the morning yeah well Alex thank you so much for coming on to today's podcast it's been Definitely. really really great you've given so much good information and would just like you to share where people can find you if they wanted to work with you or just connect with you Definitely. So you can find me on Instagram, Alex Walker Counseling. My website link is on there. I am actually taking on new clients at the moment. Um, a couple of my clients have moved forward now and, you know, they don't need my services anymore, which is really positive. So I have spaces as, you know, a recovery coach and stuff at the moment. So if anyone just needs support, you know, as a coach, I do endless 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 things you know facetime calls after meals meal planning with them food shopping i mean some of my clients just ring me if they need to go out and buy new jeans because we know how hard that can be sizing up and stuff um so yeah i'm really keen to to connect with new people and to help to help others oh amazing i absolutely love what you're doing and what i will do is i'll add a link into the show notes as well so it makes it easier for people to find if they want to kind of work with you and connect with you brilliant okay so there you have it today's episode with alex walker that was such an amazing episode i hope that you all enjoyed it as much as i enjoyed recording it because alex had so many great things to say and I imagine so many people can resonate as well with what she had to say so if you did enjoy this episode I would really appreciate it if you shared it to your stories on Instagram if you tagged me and Alex in it as well that would be amazing because I love seeing if you are resonating with the content that I am putting out there just so I know kind of what it is that you are enjoying listening to and come and say hi as well. I absolutely love meeting new people and speaking, connecting with new people on Instagram. So slide into the DMs, say hi, and I will see you next week for another episode.